0: All right, well, let me add my welcome to the one I hope you just received. Good morning. Man, so glad uh, to be here worshiping with you. Uh, Let me introduce myself. My name is Ben Lose. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and it's my absolute privilege to be able to bring you God's word this morning. Uh, We as a congregation have been in a series in the book of 1 Samuel, and we find ourselves in chapter 10 today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them to First Samuel chapter 10, and I'm going to be reading verses 17 through 27. First Samuel chapter 10, verses 17 through 27, and if you're not familiar with the Scriptures, we're going to have it up on the screen. So if you can't find it in the Bible, know it'll be up there as well. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is God's Word. Now Samuel called uh, called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you, but today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and all your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself. Among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there, and he stood among the people. He was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went home at, uh, to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him, and brought him no present, but he held his peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Would you be with us present by your Spirit this morning? Would you illumine this text so that we might find you, wisdom, and ultimately Christ? We give you praise and thanks for 1 Samuel. We pray this in your name. Amen. The title of the sermon is, I Just Can't Wait to be King. But what I want you to remember is this, failure is not final. In God's kingdom, failure is not final. Have you ever made a decision or made a wrong turn in your life that took you off course? And did you ever wonder if you could ever find your way back? back to goodness, back to a place of hope, back to a place of forgiveness, righteousness, redemption. Israel had gotten off track. They had taken a major detour from God's will. If you remember the story, they had asked God for a king, but not any king. They wanted a king like all the other nations, which was a slap in the face uh, to their God who had been such a great king to them. And so they asked for this human king, a trophy king, a king that looked good (laughs) on the outside, uh, but was a mushy apple (laughs) on the inside. Uh, They wanted a king like all the Gentiles, like all the other nations had. And God, through his prophet Samuel, had warned them if they continue to insist on having this human king it's going to cost them it's going to cost them big and they just double down and insist on what they want ever doubled down and insisted on what you wanted and God gives them what they want um In a man named Saul, who on the outside looked like a great warrior, but on the inside was a storm of insecurity and fear and unbelief. Man, this seems like a dead end street. Israel had made a terrible mistake. But what I want us to see this morning is that even though the people of Israel take, take this wrong turn, even though they blow it, and even though God allows them to feel the consequences for their poor choices for a time, he, in his grace and mercy, is very active in this story, creating multiple opportunities for Israel to get back On track. Now when we think of God's will, often we can think of it like the interstate. Very straight from point A to point B. Which is hard because we often take the off-ramps, right? Um, And we wonder, can we ever get back on? But God's will for our life and God's grace is a lot like Google Maps. It's a lot like your Garmin. You know, you put your address in and you take the wrong turn. You take the turn it doesn't want you to take. Does it just shut off? Like you're never going to get to where you're... No, it's rerouting. Rerouting. Reroute infinite amounts of times. Rerouting. Um, th- that's like God's will for our lives. We take off ramps. We get onto these country roads. We get stuck in the snow and the mud of our terrible choices. We end up running around and we wonder if we've just drifted so far from God's plan A that now we're on plan B or plan C or the dreaded plan F. Failure. But when even when we are active in our disobedience, God is active in mercy, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. With God, failure is never final. So let's look at all the ways that God is rerouting Israel back to his own heart. And see if maybe we can begin to recognize his work in our own lives. Does that sound like a plan? Let's do it. The first thing I want us to see is that when we get off track, God typically gives us clear warning. When we get off track, God gives us clear warnings. Let's begin right in verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you, but today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, set a king over us. Now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands." And so here is a prophetic warning uh, from Samuel, and in very clear language, Samuel says, for the second time to Israel, God is the one who's taken care of you. God has done tremendous things for you. He's worked salvation for you times and time again. He has been such a righteous savior, such a good king, and yet you... You spit in his face by saying, you know what we really need? A king like all the other nations. Thanks for all you've done for us, but we can take it from here. This isn't going to go well for you, Samuel says. Very clear language, but it's not only what he says. It's where he says it that makes it so clear. Because it says they gathered together at Mizpah. Well, where's Mizpah? Well, if you remember in our series in chapters 5, 6, and 7, you'll remember the interesting incident with the ark where Israel had gone to battle against their enemies without any thought to God. And when they failed because they had not asked for God's help, rather than turn to the Lord and rely on prayer and rely on a strength beyond themselves, they tried to force God's hand By bringing the ark into battle with them like it was some kind of talisman. And they lost an even greater battle. And because because the Lord isn't going to be used like that, well, Mizpah is where they finally learned their lesson. That instead of relying on themselves, they began to then turn to the prophet of God who repented on their behalf and offered sacrifices. They humbled themselves. They got to their knees and Samuel prayed for them. And as a result of this, God single-handedly took care of all their enemies. And in order to remember this great instance... And the the lesson that was there, not to rely on your own strength, but to rely on the strength of the Lord. They set up a stone of remembrance called an Ebenezer to say, till now it has been the Lord that has helped us. So I imagine Samuel standing With a huge Ebenezer stone as his backdrop, with his hand on the remembrance stone, pointing to the stone, saying, "Guys, you're forgetting where strength is. You're you're forgetting who you really need." He couldn't be more clear. God loves to give us clear warnings. When I think back at the wrong turns that I've taken in my life, especially in the rearview mirror, I could say that God all along the way was very clear to me about what was right and about what was wrong. God is relentless in trying to keep us from danger. He'll even ruin a day that was supposed to be a day of great national celebration. He'll ruin your party by bringing a clear warning. He loves us that much. The one thing that we can say about Israel is that they had ample opportunities to repent. When we get off track, God gives us clear warning. But that's not the only thing he gives us. When we get off track, God also exposes our idols. He exposes our idols. Let's keep going in our text. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot, But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, this is the great line, behold, he has hidden himself among the luggage. And it truly is a funny scene. You have to picture it in your mind's eye. All of Israel is present for the revealing and the coronation of the great king that they've asked for. And so they cast lots. And when we think of lots, we think random, but they didn't think random. Uh, Casting lots uh, in uh, Old Testament situations like this, it was showing a tremendous amount of trust in God's providential control over even the smallest things in life. Certainly not how we're supposed to seek God's will today, but that's how they did it back then. And this was synonymous uh, for them with hearing the Lord's voice. So they cast the lots. And out of all the tribes, the tribe of Benjamin is chosen they cast lots again and out of all the the tribe of Benjamin one family is chosen and then they cast lots again and out of all the people in the family one man is chosen but he's nowhere to be found check behind the luggage <laughs> they and they have to ask the Lord they they have to even they have to rely on their God to get the king that they they shouldn't have and so they ask the Lord is there another person coming and here the Lord just speaks he doesn't tell how he speaks I imagine it as a voice coming from heaven behold and the luggage parts (laughs) and there is a man behind the luggage and he says behold man if there is not sarcasm in that word I don't know where their sarcasm. So the whole nation had come. They had a lot of luggage. Think about how much luggage you bring on short vacation. They had a lot of luggage. And there is Saul behind it all. We learned from last week's message that Saul was a man full of fear and insecurity. He lacked faith in God. They had rejected God as king, and unfaithful Israel was getting the king that they deserved. Now the scene is funny in and of itself, but it also echoes another scene in Israel's history. And recognizing that echo gives us some insight into what's happening here. This isn't the first time that Israel had gathered as a nation and where one person is chosen by lots and where at the end of the story something is hidden and needs to be found. Gold star for anybody who knows the story from the Old Testament, Joshua, the story of Achan, gold star for everybody's like, who's the Bible nerd? They get it, man. Remember the story of Achan? Let me remind you of the story of Achan. Happens in the book of Joshua. Achan, after a victory, they're not supposed to take anything from the the Babylonians. They're not supposed to take anything from their enemies to be tempted to become like them. But Achan takes the Babylonian cloak and the gold. And uh, no one knows, but God said, Somebody has taken something, these idle things from their enemies. You need to find them. And so they gather the, the nation to find the culprit and they cast lots and it comes down from the nation to one tribe and from the tribe to one man. And they look at the one man and they say, where are the idols? And he said, I hid them. I hid them over with the gear. And they go and they find the idols. And that man is brought to Uh, A destructive end. Because of his sin. Very similar thing is happening here. Except who are the culprits? The perpetrators? The people of Israel. What is the idol? Saul. Saul. Is in the place of the idol. Having a king. Like every other nation, political power is the idol. That sound familiar? What's the point? That before but you know what doesn't happen in this story? Destruction, a destructive end to Israel. They have an opportunity in seeing the weakness of their king. And seeing that this isn't a road you want to go down to turn around. What an opportunity to say, Lord, oh man, that isn't the king we want. Not the one hiding in the baggage. We want you. We forgot. We want to serve you. What an opportunity to see the weakness and the foolishness of their desires. God will sometimes expose our idols, won't he? We get into the relationship that we were really, really looking for. And it doesn't, we're still lonely. We're still sad. The job you worked so hard to get, it doesn't solve all your problems. The overspending on the house didn't make all your dreams come true. We put all our hopes and dreams into this thing. And then every once in a while, its weakness is exposed to us, and we have an opportunity to turn from bo- broken cisterns which can't hold water, to turn our attention to the King of Heaven, to a heavenly feast, to His sovereign care and goodness. Israel had a chance to do that here, but do they take it? Verse 23 Then they ran. And took him from the luggage. And when he stood among the people. And you have to imagine his frame unfolding before the people. And he was tall. Taller than any of the people from his shoulder upward. And Samuel said to all the people. Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him. Among all the people, and you have to believe. You know, there's two ways that a person can be one of a kind. What do you think Samuel was saying? But the people heard what they wanted to hear because they saw what they wanted to see, and they shouted, Long live the king! He's tall! Oh, he's a tall king! this is going to be awesome. (laughs) Not true. They did not come to their senses. They do not know that it's what's on the inside of a person that matters. They will learn. Um, Now certainly, this is going to be the time where God just says, oh, come on, man. He's tall. That's what you're looking at. You're done. I'm letting you go. But what do we see from the Lord again? Rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Look at what he gives them next. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of kingship. And he wrote them in a book and laid it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to their home. Even at this point. He, is not only, he not only gives them clear warning, he gives them clear direction. He takes the Lord's word, and when it says the rights and the duties of kingship, I think what he's writing here is, is in Deuteronomy chapter 17, Israel is informed beforehand of what a king should be like of what a king should do. If a king is ever going to come to Israel and be successful, this is what they need to be about. And if you go back, this is your homework, go back to Deuteronomy 17, read about the rights and duties of kingship, and what you learn about the king is that they need to be a Bible nerd. I mean, what it says is they make a copy of the book of Deuteronomy, and they're just supposed to read it and meditate on it. All the time. They're not supposed to care about wives, chariots, or money. They're just supposed to care about the word of the Lord. And so basically, what Samuel's giving them is a king manual. Saul, you may not have it now, but if you align yourself to God's word, if you can get over your insecurities and fears, if you can just meditate on God's word, it's all there. The covenant document, what to do and what not to do, spelled out in clear Hebrew for you to understand. He gives them clear direction. And in doing so, he tells Israel, it's not going to be his tallness that matters in the end. It will, it will be whether he aligns his heart and whether you align your heart. With my word. Because my word can guide you. It can be a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. He has physical gifts, but he's going to need God's word to be successful. He gives us his word, doesn't he? Clear direction. He gives one more gift in the text. He provides friends Verse 26, Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor, get this, whose hearts God had touched. And so after all of the failure, he not only gives Saul clear warning, not only gives Saul clear direction, but he touches the heart of like the secret service, like men of valor, warriors, to come alongside Saul so that he can fulfill his calling to be king and savior of Israel. Sometimes to get back on track, God gives us good friends. He moves in the heart of people around us. To give us the aid we need in a time of need. And notice the detail. The Lord put it on their hearts. I love that detail. There's a difference between the friends you choose and want and the the friends that God chooses and wants for you. And God has put it on certain people's hearts around you to be your real friend, your woman or man of valor, to come alongside you in the hard times. You can usually tell them because they'll never leave you. They may not be the... There's friends that we run after all the time. We want them to be our friends and they aren't our friends. Those aren't the ones that God chose, (laughs) For you. But who are the warriors, like uh, for the Lord, that are around you? He gives them to us. But that's not the only people that are around, because look at verse 7. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. So it's not just the valiant individuals. Now there are these worthless people and they are not convinced that Saul can deliver. He ain't gonna be my king. Wasn't he just chasing donkeys? They just said. And they're disrespectful to Saul. God had chosen Saul. And God is going to do his part in giving Saul everything he needs to be able to equip his purpose. Um, whether they like it or not that he was hiding behind the baggage, he was the Lord's choice. And they don't bring him this gift. And that's an interesting detail to me. There would have been customary to bring gifts to Saul to show him honor and... Uh, These people invest nothing in the coming kingship. And so God's going to bring people, so this is is how the Lord spoke to me through that detail. God is going to bring some people into your life and you need to listen to them because they're the the men and women that he has moved to come around you. But there's other people who are going to come into your life who have invested nothing in you. They have invested no time in you, in God's purpose for their life. And they're going to try to speak to you and your job is not to listen to them at all. When people have never invested in you, be careful of accepting their opinions. But notice Saul doesn't stand up to his critics. He's surrounded by valiant men but he doesn't say to his critics shh he's still weak as we'll see and he goes home that's the story what do we learn from it one of the questions you have reading Saul's story is this is is this thing doomed from the beginning It seems like every time they have an opportunity to turn towards God, they turn further away from Him. And, uh, you know, that's not really a surprising thing because it resonates so much with our own experience of following the Lord. But what is surprising and amazing and truly wild is the relentless way in which God in his grace and mercy continues to give opportunities for repentance and trust to both Israel and Saul on this journey. And the story is really mirrored in the story of humanity, isn't it? We lost our way because we wanted to have our own king and have it our own way. Thanks for all you've done for us, Lord, but we'll take it from here. And we take the off ramps and the, the country roads, and we get stuck in the mud, but what we find is that God never leaves humanity. He sends prophet after prophet, word after word, opportunity, opportunity. Signs of his confirmation, grace, and love. Rerouting, rerouting, rerouting until finally he comes himself. And he wasn't recognized when he came in the flesh. Not because he was scared and hiding, but because he was so different from anyone we had ever seen before. The opposite of Saul, really. Not so much to look at on the outside, the scripture says. But on the inside, glory. A beauty. And he didn't need the word of God to direct his path. He was the word of God. Given to us and he didn't need friends to encourage him on the path to save others his friends left him and he did it anyway and he had critics who looked at him and said he can't save anyone and he looked at them from the cross and he forgave them as he forgave us And because he died for us. And because he rose for us. And because he reigns for us as our king. We can know that no matter how lost we get. No matter how many times we've taken a wrong turn. If we trust in him. The one who began a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, we are not doomed to fail. We are not children of perdition. We are the children of the Lord. And that means no matter how lost we feel, there is hope. Rerouting. 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 So the only question for us, is there a, is this, is there a warning? A clear warning that you should be listening to? Is there a clear, direct word from the Lord that you need to listen to? Is there a friend's presence in your life that you need to acknowledge? Is there a voice in your life that you need to rebuke? Certainly there is a Savior in your life you are being called to trust. He is good, isn't he? Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the book of 1 Samuel. Thank you for all that it teaches us. Thank you for your commitment to us when we fail, when we take the wrong turns, when we, get, when we lose our way, when we sin, when we break down. You are so relentless in your pursuit of us. And so we are not doomed. (laughs) We are the opposite. We're we're doomed to succeed. We're doomed to glory. And we give you praise for that. And I pray that each one of us, as we just reflect on your movement in our lives, would be be able to discern your voice in a warning And a friend, in a word, that we see your hand gently leading us back on track. We praise your name. We give you thanks. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen.